So welcome in, Bob. My Thank first you. time meeting you, Bob Anderson. Uh, yes. So how would you describe? Well, how would you describe Bob? You have a relationship with Bob. He was your uh, trainer, MMA for MMA, right? Yes, he was my my instructor. Yep. So let's see what someone else thinks of you, Bob. How would you describe Bob? Um, he is in the flesh, the original most interesting man on the planet. Mm. Mm. That's a, that's not. I'm not making that up either. As soon as <laughs> as soon as we get going. You're going to hear some pretty amazing things uh, where he's been, traveled, um, whipped people's asses, protected people <laughs> from trouble, all kinds of stuff. Well, first thing I notice about Bob, really tall. How tall are you, Bob? Six, three and a little bit. Yeah. yeah and you're really good shape. Yeah. I mean, you should <laughs> you be, know, right? I kind of have to. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Comes yep. in just slender, looking great. Yep, all and handsome. Not you know, nice. Uh, nice the mustache is. Oh, but he's fitting right in point. with two dicks. Here. Oh yeah, two two absolute <laughs> unshaven, filthy, rotten hosts. <laughs> dicks. My kind of people. Yeah, <laughs> I do, I do like that he uh, he wanted some bourbon. Have you tried the bourbon yet? It's pretty not good. yet, yeah. but I will. it's pretty tasty. So nice. Bob is uh, you're a trainer. You uh, you've been a bodyguard for quite a few different people. Yes. How did you get into mixed martial arts? As you were saying before we started, Michael, uh, mixed martial arts, you were kind of into it before it was really as popular as it is today. I started uh, as a matter of survival. I grew up in Oakland, Salinas, Richmond. Mm -hmm. My father was in the military, and, you, you, you know, those were some pretty rough places. I was always tall and slender as a, a kid and uh, easy target for bullies, and got tired of it. Uh, I was working on a job, and we had an altercation with one of the bosses and this guy that I was working with. It was He did some stuff that ended the situation, so I asked him what that was, and he says, I do kajikimbo. And I said, well, what's that? And he said, that's a, a martial art. I said, I'd like to come watch that. And I saw that. In, Fortunately, I feel fortunate that that was my first system. I've been in a lot of other systems. Uh, Karate systems. Yeah I, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to be biased and, you know, be sucked into one way is the catch-all. But at any rate, it was amazing style, and it, it started from there. I, uh, actually, before that, I did judo in, in Europe as a kid. They didn't, karate wasn't popular at that time. They didn't even know what it was. And then as I got back stateside, um, karate started getting a little bit more popular. And uh, Professor, yeah. what, what, what time era is this that, that we're talking about? I started uh, the judo in 1962. And then as we got back stateside, I believe it was in 64, 65. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started the Kaj Kimbo. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Cool. Uh, so, all right. So how old were you, by the way? You didn't mention that. Uh, I started, you... I started at 11, 11, 11 wow, years old. And, okay. and back then they didn't like to teach karate to anybody but adults. Why is oh, that? Sure. Uh, it was just not Probably a kid thing. Safe, safety, right? I mean, back then, I mean, they didn't think safety. No, no. Uh, they used me as a punching bag when I finally got through the door. <laughs> but... So you must've been pretty tall for being 11. I was tall, but, uh, again, I had to pretty much bake my way in. And uh, I collected Coke bottles for my tuition and hitchhiked, you know, 15 miles to start training. Um, Hitchhiking. And, oh, yeah. People thing. still do that? They probably don't. <laughs> no, Not as much anymore. Not anymore. Oh, no. Mm. So, all right. So, 11 years old. And you said you've, worked, you've, you've done different systems. What did you move to? Did you just get addicted to it? Was it something that you just absolutely fell in love with? I loved the fact that I was able to protect myself, for one. Mm -hmm. And people go into the martial arts for a lot of different reasons. Some go in because it's in vogue because of the movies, mm -hmm. at least nowadays. Um, some go in for exercise, other because it's a social event. Uh, for me, it was all the, always a self-defense. So I always sought out the practicality side, something that worked, because there's a lot of BS taught out there, trust me. I took a business trip when I got out of the military and I wanted to see if I wasn't biased about my systems that I had gone through. So I drove from 
uh, Bellingham to Syracuse, New York, and I stopped in every major city I could, trained with everybody that allowed me to do that. And when the trip was said and done, I felt that I was fortunate to start where I did. There was a lot of garbage taught out there. There was a lot of good things as well, but most of it was non-functionable. Mm-hmm. And, and so I... Each system that I went through, I was looking for the practicality side of, of uh, defending oneself and family. Right. And how, so what else did you do? What, I mean, what other systems, what's your favorite of the ones that you've done and how many different ones have you done? There's you no done? favorite because you, you... You kind of blend them eventually? Yeah, definitely. And that, Kaji Kimball was America's first hybrid system, this, the system I started in, developed by Adrian Emperado. Okay. Um, he had the foresight to see that every system had something good. And he, back in that day, people were prejudiced about their systems. If you were a karate guy, you wouldn't talk to a Kung Fu guy. He wouldn't talk to a judo guy. And so there was no networking. It was my style's better and Mm -hmm. I'll never go to the ground or, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, he had the foresight and he had, he grew up with these four friends, and they went different ways into martial arts as they became adults. But he got them together, and he said, you know, we need to make a style that is street-orientated and will be uh, weighed heavy on the self-defense. One guy was a a karate guy, one guy was a kempo, one guy was a kung fu, another was a a judo and jujitsu. So you had the the best of all worlds at that time. Right. This was truly mixed martial arts before it evolved in the 92s by the Gracies. Mm-hmm. And in fact, it's kind of funny. Uh, my school was called Double Action Training Academy. And part of our uh, testing process, we had what we called uh, data sparring. Data was the acronym for Double Action Training Academy. Now, data sparring was... People ask me nowadays what it what it was, and it was kicking, punching, elbows, knees, ground attacks. Nobody did that back then. Yeah. They either did one or the other. We did it all. Mm-hmm. So now, when I say that, people go, "Oh, mixed martial arts." Yeah, mixed martial <laughs> arts. That's the new name. What, what you need in the street, yeah. you know, because uh, you have many different distances you're going to be dealing with, and you've got to be proficient in all of those. Yeah. And when, one thing I, uh, uh, one of the many things that I cherish about my time being friends with professor here is, uh, and something that it's a, uh, I really believed in, in acquired a life skill, right? Because yeah, it, you, it's and, a, you and Ryan were, Ryan Churchill were talking a little bit about that. Yeah. I think it's, I, Ryan's I think it's really important for people to understand some basic things and, and stuff I had no idea about until. I became a student of professors and it's just self-awareness. Yeah. Like, where are you? Where are your exits? What kind of people are you near? You know, is there excitement in the room? You know, is it just everybody's just kind of like chilling or whatever? So you kind of like become this thing, like you're always adapting to your, to your surroundings. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, my son Lance, uh, also has trained under him and, Mm. and Lance and I, often will say he, or he'll, he, he's going to the movies or whatever with his friends. I'll say, know your exits, bud. And he goes, gotcha, dad <laughs> goes out. I mean, this is <laughs> the lifelong impact of these sort of things, you know? Yeah. Um, of it, course. It's an incredible, uh, what does it do for know. you mentally though? I mean, is it, is it, does it, is it, uh, cause you say watch your exit. Is it, is it creating, fear or is it just is it's just situational awareness so to, so that you can feel comfortable in those situations a little more comfortable or yeah there's you know some people say uh that's paranoid well paranoid by definition is delusions of grandeur and persecution and it's neither one of those it's just being ready if you wear your seatbelt in your car you're being prepared right noah built the ark it wasn't raining yeah. It's being prepared. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. That's yeah. funny. That's good. That's good. And and so that's it. And in today's times, you need that. If you see a, an animal eating out uh, in the street, a bird, let's say, they may be hungry, but their first priority is living. So they're always aware of their surroundings. And situational awareness, uh, you know, is kind of a cliche overused term, but 
it's very, very important. Yeah. It's being, uh, having a tactical awareness and, and preparedness. And, you know, we can train that way using hypothesis all day long. You don't have to go through those situations. I've been in such, you know, some of the worst hell holes in the world, and I've had to live it, and I like to pass that on so other people do not. Right. Yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, I had a passion for the study of violence, the precursors that led up to it, so that, you know, people talk about uh, situations that you've won. You know, Mr. Anderson, have you used your martial arts? I'll say, yeah, hundreds of times. So they wait for a big, juicy story, and I tell them about the ones that I was able to avoid. Yeah. Because mm. I've won every one of those. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, uh, it's like the adage, a stitch in time saves nine, couldn't be more true when it comes to your personal defense. Mm -hmm. And so that tactical awareness is uh, invaluable. It's much easier to avoid it than it is to get out of it. However, and I believe that 98% can be avoided. 2% of the time, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. It might be a crime of coincidence along with a robbery or a home invasion or something then you better have the skills. You owe it to right. your family, your right. friends, and everybody else that you have a winning mindset. And you hear people say the surviving mindset. Mm. I don't believe in that. I know a lot of people who have survived things, but you know they're in wheelchairs or they have reconstructed surgery. That's not enough. You've got to have the winning attitude. You've got to go home that day and be right. the winner. Right. That's I like that. The winning mindset. I really like that. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. So did you ever do it competitively at all? Yeah. I, something that you got into? I, yeah, and I did it. I don't like to hurt people in general, of course. Uh, and I did it because there was two ways to test yourself. Otherwise, you're a paper tiger. You could either go out and get a street fight. Yeah. And then you're the bully, right? Yeah. Or you could get into competition. Now, competition is 180 different in as far as real self-defense is, but it gives you an idea of uh, your your combative skills. And you're also going against people who also have those combative skills, yeah. which you're probably not going to face necessarily in the street. Yeah, true. Right? True. And um, you've both agreed on it. So uh, I did um, all gambits, uh, you know, the... Uh, point fighting. I did the So You Think You're Tough contest. Uh, and we used to have to fight three people in one night. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I remember one of my more challenging ones. I fought a Canadian champion kickboxer, a Seattle Seahawk, and, and, and a huge Samoan all in the same night. Yeah. And one, right? Yeah, one. And one. <laughs> <laughs> that's but, a, that's an important little But yeah. did that. And I won. I, I boxed for a long time um and when when the UFC came about, it was a little bit past my wanting to get in the ring and and do that. But yeah, I did the competition. I trained people for that. And, did you? Yeah, and um I've uh, bodyguard for Chuck Liddell, and he comes from the same system. And so I, I know about that world, and I know about the training they do. And, you know, I've gone, there's probably nothing in that arena that I haven't done. Now, you think you, you, you would think that Chuck Liddell doesn't, doesn't need a bodyguard, but uh, so why, what's, what, what does Chuck Liddell need a bodyguard? Well, like anybody that's in that, um, they want to fight him. Yeah, they you get a lot of dumb citizens yeah. who who want to start some trouble and and you can't have him somebody like that punching you out. It's a big liability. Yeah, which is it's kind of twofold. Um, I noticed that uh, when we went to Vegas uh, and I started going there, I expected to see the security that was available to be much more sophisticated than it was. A lot of times they use, you know, 250-pound sacrificial beef as a bodyguard, some mm -hmm. ex-football player, ex-Green Beret, ex-cop. And that's not what you want unless you want to be going to court a lot. Um, you, I, I started um, doing the bodyguard stuff because 
being in the martial arts, you would have people come up and say, you know, I got this situation. Would you mind watching my back? And, and I, you know, I like that. I think I have that, that nurturing, uh, part of me, a gene that, you know, the two oldest, I think professions in the world are prostitution and, and bodyguarding. <laughs> <laughs> At least I, I had that gene. <laughs> and, uh, um, but as I did that, I enjoyed helping people out and it could be lucrative, but I knew they had to be more than just the martial arts. So I researched, and I found there was a school uh, called Executive Security International, and it was the highest rated bodyguard academy in the United States. Wow. So I sold everything I could and uh, said goodbye to my friends. I put all my eggs in one basket and I went there and I did well. I ended up an honor graduate. But as I got out and I started uh, searching employment, I sent out uh, a lot of letters to different multinational corporations and, and I got no replies back. So after about three months of that, I shelved it and I thought maybe this is more than they're making it out to be and I just went back to teaching. I finally got a call and um, it's a word of mouth industry. Mm -hmm. Once I got that first call, and, and I, I work hard at doing a very good job, uh, it snowballed. It went crazy. And uh, I've been working, I still to this day work in that industry. Yeah. 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 So because I think that people listening have a curious mind, uh, like I do, have, were there any scenarios during that time where you, you did, you had to use your skills to protect somebody? I'm sure there were, but give, mm -hmm. give some examples. It'd be interesting um, to hear. Tell us what you can tell. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. With, with respect to the people that you're bodyguarding and stuff like Our that. Our job, of course, is keeping it status quo because First of all, the bad guy is always going to bring more people than you have, more firepower. They do more surveillance than you do security. They're looking for easy targets. Uh, I've had some very high-profile clients in doing so. I've been up against the KGB, the IRA. Uh, wow. There's been some really close calls. Uh, we've moved $500 million with our artifacts throughout Europe on a big tour. Uh, our client was Polish in nationality, and that was as just as they got under the thumb, out from under the thumb of the communist bloc, you know, being a communist bloc country. So, uh, and they knew that she may have been supporting solidarity movement, so we had the cage. whole political thing going oh, yeah, on, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've been shot twice, stabbed once. Um, wait, 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 wait! Stop! Don't run! You don't run through that. Shot twice. Uh -huh. Where? It, on me, on my body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got, I got shot down here in my leg, and then I got shot on my upper leg. And the kind of the humorous side of that, if there is one, is there was a lot of action going on, and I had to get behind cover and concealment quickly, so I was moving out. I knew something had hit me. I didn't know what. I didn't know it was just mm. other stuff flying around. And when, and even though I had run to get to where I could get behind cover, once I looked at the wound, I could hardly walk. So psychologically, right, you know, right, right. it begins to defeat you. Yeah. Well, the the funny part of it was, I thought, and then I saw blood on my upper thigh, and I thought, if I didn't feel that, what happened here? Mm -hmm. So I dropped my pants. And hoping for the best. <laughs> Everything was hanging to the left that day. So it, it had just gone through my right thigh. Yeah. yeah. Thank God. <laughs> Didn't ruin that portion of your life. That's good. Uh, so, so shot twice, stabbed. You said stabbed once. once yeah. Oh, that is nuts. Is there ever a winner in a, in a knife fight? Yeah, when you go home, yeah. yeah, but you you don't go unscathed. There's right. nothing like the movies. Yeah. So Zero. what what, yeah. what do you? Someone's coming at you with a knife. Mm -hmm. Do you did you have a weapon or was it just your hands? It's a close. That's close. That's that's in close range. When right it's there. in close like that, it's faster to go empty hands. If you if you try to draw at that distance and you're dealing with somebody from a knife culture, you're gonna get sliced and diced. Yeah. 
So how how'd you deal with that? I, I, I mean, I'm, I want to, I want to see the well, whole thing here. Statistically, <laughs> most, most of the time you get uh, a person gets stabbed. Uh, they didn't even see the knife and they, oh, they right. felt, felt like they got punched yeah, 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 until yeah. something warm sensation is occurring or something falls Ooh, off. I, suppose. <laughs> uh, I, I just caught the glimmer of it out of the corner of my eye and I was able to parry the arm away, but it stuck me in the leg, but it didn't go in very deep. And yeah. yeah and like, uh, like <clears throat> for our listeners, what does parry mean? Perry means to uh, to block to the inside or to the outside, okay. cool. you know, avoid hit right. center mass. And then were you able to, to neutralize the person? Oh, yeah. yeah, I sure did. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fascinating to me. Man. I love I'm just him, so dude. Fascinating. <laughs> oh yeah, no problem. It was easy. I'd be whining like a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I got stabbed. I'd be running the other way. I should. I mean, I've always thought about taking uh, martial arts. Just. Not not necessarily for for a couple of reasons, uh, for the same things that you guys are talking about the situational awareness, just just feeling sort of a sense of uh, ease in uncomfortable situations, mm-hmm. you know, uh, large crowds or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because you just hope you just hope you get home, you know, in life. You mm-hmm. know, you're at Vegas and you're walking around Fremont Street and it, there's a lot of people and there's homeless people and there's a lot going on. You just never know that kind of thing to be able to know, no, no distance, have spa- you know the s- sense of space and all that kind of thing. The other is exercise and and actually. Even more for you know mental centeredness, mm-hmm. which I think that is a byproduct of it as, as well. Is that 100%. is that true? Is that a yeah? There there is so much to be gained from the martial arts. Um, I have students still email me or call me saying, you know, I got I was in this situation, and a lot of it is it can be related to business. It doesn't have to be a physical confrontation, but they'll say. I was in this situation, I remembered our talks and I, I kept it under control and I was able to work through the adversity and succeed. And it was because of what we went through. And that's very rewarding to get that kind of feedback because when you're teaching, you don't know how many you're reaching. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and I've you know taught for many, many years up in Washington. I was up there for gee, 25, 30 years gone through almost three generations of people mm-hmm. yeah that's know. a long yeah. time yeah yeah and what's your favorite thing i mean it, do, you, do you like the teaching aspect the bodyguard aspect i mean what the 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 combat aspect um i like the teaching probably foremost i enjoy the bodyguard stuff because i know that i have a very good chance of keeping them alive and out of trouble there's more to bodyguard than just the fighting a bad guy no of course you know there's there's natural disasters that could occur there's uh conflicting personalities or ideologies or beliefs systems like if a client books a a talk in a hotel and they're jewish and now there's a german uh, or white supremacist group talking also i mean that wouldn't be a good thing right so you have to the advance work is the most important that it's very you, mental. Yeah, you know what you're walking into before you ever do. And it takes a good amount of time and, and research to do all that. And the client has no idea that you that's behind the scenes. I was actually going to let you finish that because that's what I wanted to, to reiterate is how much pre and post work you're doing while your client is just pinning around like a pinball, mm-hmm. just kind of like meeting and greeting or whatever. And you got to be like managing hundreds of people or even six people, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's the difference between uh, somebody that's well-trained in security and somebody that's just an X something. Yeah, right. I mean, most like police officers, if they've had training, they're good because they know how to read people. Yeah. But a lot of times they haven't done that. They've sure. only, you know, they retired by responding to situations. That's not going to keep anybody alive. Right. right. Um. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the, uh, one of the things I want to establish too is, uh, I was, I was with professor damn near every day. Okay. Um, I had my first fight with him in July and I, and then 
I was diagnosed with cancer in August. Meaning, meaning he was in your corner. Oh yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Not, not, you, not that you fought him. Never. <laughs> no, we used to, we used to grapple every now and then. And you know, it was always a learning session for me. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, he was there in the darkest times for sure. Was wow. A good, good through dude. it all. Yeah. That's, so did you continue to train through that or did you have to take a total break from it? Um, I will say that professor made it possible for me to continue to train because, uh, I wasn't allowed to be, or, um, because of the chemo, the drugs I was taking and they were coming out through my body. He actually gave me my own physical space in the gym and, you know, we would keep it clean and, you know, that sort of thing. Hmm. <clears throat> Um, just days after treatment, I wouldn't go in, but I had treatment every three weeks. So I'd have treatment, I'd take a week off and then I would professor had it set up. So I like for the next two weeks, it was like, I ramped it up. I just came in and did some light cardio, got, you know, got everything going again and then hitting the punching bag and like ramping up to my next treatment, like a fight. Right. And it was just yeah. doing that and doing that. And, um, it was the gym basically saved me. I think I bet you know kept me in really good shape. Well, he's a fighter, both spirit and absolutely and body. You know, he's, yeah, he's bigger than life. Absolutely. So your your career, you you were in the military. You mentioned that you brushed mm -hmm. over that. How long were you in the military? Six years. I'm a Vietnam vet. Okay. And uh, what what branch? Army. Army. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So after the military, what? What do you do? What do you, what do you do? What do you, what's your, what's your choices? What, what, what got you into all of these things? I know you mentioned briefly that you, you started teaching and everything. What were you going to say? I was that? just going to say the, your cross country trip when you did all those, all the systems, was that post was that right service? After? Right after the service. Okay. So I kind of felt like that was yeah, that right time there. frame was like, that was the time to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. You were yeah. trying to learning, exploring. What yeah. do I want? What do I want from the next phase of my life? Right. Right. And, uh, and so from that, what, what did you, what, what was your next step? You said you lived in Washington. Did you go to Washington after that or? Um, actually, uh, my high school buddy and myself wanted to travel around the world prior to going to college. Mm. And so we hitchhiked and we went up to the state of Washington. We were living in a abandoned farmhouses and camping out and we got a job picking potatoes and in Washington the potatoes are like that <laughs> and you not uh, very big right you pick potatoes all day and every time you got a gunny sack you just earned yourself seven cents <laughs> wow at the end of the day you might make fifteen dollars but you walk home bent over for right you know. and, and really so, sore yeah so we both volunteered for Vietnam to get out of a picking potatoes right and uh <laughs> once uh that and i i started teaching uh, close quarter combat and defensive tactics to the u.s army in 1970 in fact the first year i got in there they had me working uh in that capacity and then when i got out um i opened up a school in mount vernon washington uh so i will always uh, I was always teaching, whether it was full time or part time. I'd work, you know. I've had a hundred jobs, everything from roofing to carpentry to working in an aluminum factory, and that's in fact when I was working in the aluminum factories. And I was, I read that book, uh, Think and Grow Rich, mm -hmm. and yeah. one one chapter hit me strong, and I went, "This is not what I want to do," and that's when I decided to do the bodyguard thing. So, and that works. Use your out. skills to, yeah. to pay the bills. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I've got to work with a lot of celebrities through that, still teach martial arts, and it all goes hand in hand. I became a firearm instructor. I, I worked for NRA, Mossberg, Glock, Front Sight, uh, Delta, Peregrine. And uh, so, uh, it, it all tied in. Yeah. What's some of the wildest places that you've been doing bodyguarding? Just, I mean, in, in, in terms of location. Poland. Um, France was interesting. Um, not a big fan of some of the things there. It wasn't my favorite country, I'll say. I like certain aspects. Um, Italy, uh, Venice, Spain was beautiful. Uh, Germany, 
uh, South America was real dangerous. I, I don't blend in very well. <laughs> uh, so dangerous for you or the client you were working uh, with? Dangerous for for a lot of people down there. You have um, a lot of corruption in all segments from the military to the police to the guerrillas to the mafia. And, and uh, I just didn't blend in. I mean, everybody was about that tall. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're not very tall. Is that there. a knife culture down there? Uh, not so much. No. Yeah. no. More gun culture. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Mm. So you got to know how you got to know how to shoot. You got to know how to do all that stuff as a bodyguard. That's pretty interesting. He's not a he's not a jack of all, master of none. It's he's the it's master the, the master of it, master all. Of it all. Yeah. <laughs> It's pretty yeah. cool. That's it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's pretty sweet. So, um, what do you what are you doing these days? What what are you up to these days? I still do EP work, which is exec, executive protection work or bodyguard work. Uh, I um, work for recording artists down south. I still teach, and I, right now I'm, I'm working with eighty schools. I do the infrastructure uh, assessment for active shooters. So mm. I, I make sure their hardware and software is as good as it can get to make the teachers and the kids safer. We do the active shooter response drills, so the proper way to respond. I'm certified by Homeland Security and ALICE program. ALICE is the gold standard of active shooter response drills in the nation. I do a blended training of both of those. Mm. And we do a program called Teacher Safe, which is a self-defense system, uh, basically minimizing your risk and reducing the chances of you being a victim. But then, easy to remember under high stress, uh, defensive tactics. And I do the same thing for realtors. We call it Real Safe. Mm, nice. Cor- corporations will have me come in and right. work with them. I do programs for uh, battered women shelters and stuff like that. Wow. Um, what uh, if you can uh, and what what is what is the curriculum for an active shooter like how how does it start and what's the what's the end game well there's Be- survival yeah we uh we go over the three options that they have run hide fight and unfortunately um a lot of schools are still using the antiquated uh, to hide and shelter in place type of thing mm-hmm. unfortunately that can almost guarantee 100% fatalities right where that began was in the mid 80s there was a lot of drive-by shootings in LA Mm -hmm. so they have the students get behind something and when the trouble passed they'd go back to their work yeah well unfortunately it morphed into active shooters and it's just not the thing to do you have lots of options running would be the best if logistics give you that luxury Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh if not then you uh you know you can barricade if if that's your next thing so we teach them how to lock all type of doors and how the importance and the um uh, the things that you should do while you're in there never limiting your mobility Mm -hmm. because the last resort would be to counter or to fight back right and it's extremely effective um everybody goes through what's called an OODA loop and for the people who doesn't don't know what UDA means, uh, it means to observe something. Mm-hmm. Then you orientate yourself mm-hmm. to that. You decide what you're going to do, and then you act. And this happens in microseconds, right. but we all do it in every everything. Yeah. And so when that's broken, it's got to kind of start over. So when a shooter comes in, and the people. You know, first of uh, all, what is it? They're thinking to themselves, "What is that? Mm-hmm. What does that sound?" Yeah, and when once they discover, okay, it's an actual shooter. If they're in that proximity where they can't run, they can't get behind something. Their only alternative right. is to fight back. Right, right. And like I say, it's effective. We've had uh, some of our shooters in the class, and they used like Nerf guns and stuff. Mm-hmm. But they're SWAT guys, so they're, they're combat seasoned and. Yeah. Uh, they react the same way. It's something that you can't stop. When people are throwing stuff at you and charging you, you right. that OODA loop is broken, your sights go off, and you have a chance of saving a lot of people, including yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, rarely does an, you know, somebody might get a wing shot or something, yeah. but they just can't keep it on center mass that easily. Yeah. Because they've been, they've been sent into that loop. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. That's really interesting. Have you, have you noticed that any, um, any of the educational um, facilities are implementing like more hardware, like auto lock to hit a button? Oh, or, definitely. Really? Definitely. That's, that's part of our job too. We'll first go in there and we'll do an assessment on the infrastructure and we'll rec- make recommendations. Oh, wow. Very because cool. again, preventing it is a lot mm-hmm. better than trying to get mm-hmm. out of it. Of course. Yeah. That's it's got to be like interesting. A, an onion. Your security is going to have many layers of security. Sure. And the sooner you can perceive it, the more time you have Absolutely. to make a right that decision. Makes yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's an unfortunate part of our of our society, um, but it's it's really crucial that 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 stuff is is a part of it that mm-hmm. that's taught a little bit and of yeah. course it's not paranoia we just mentioned it's just being able knowing what to do right. you know it's no different than living in california and doing earthquake drills knowing exactly. you know knowing when an earthquake comes what we all know that yeah. we all everybody in california we all know which where our exits are right yep. where's yep. the best exit all that stuff so yeah uh it's an unfortunate part but it's something pretty valuable. That's the least I know about you, professor. And some of the most interesting stuff is like the, the analysis of a, of a physical building, your recommendation. Um, and then the, the, I'm sure you guys follow through with the implement implementation of the, you know, of the new lock or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then do you guys go back and then drill with the new stuff in place and, and, you know, make sure that it's all copacetic on your recommendation or is it kind of limited to the damn school budget or it is it is limited to policy budget and all the other bureaucracy Mm -hmm. that goes along with that uh but i do check up on them and uh we try to make we have like i say 80 schools so we oh so you're probably in rotation yeah it's like a big ferris wheel yeah by the time i'm done it's time to do it again for the next year Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, at this time in California, the California Board of Education doesn't have a mandated amount of time that a active shooter drill has to be performed, whereas they do with the earthquake and the fire drill. Right. But to prove a point, there hasn't been anybody ever hurt or loss of life from a fire and educational institution mm-hmm. because we've done fire drills since we were in kindergarten. Yeah, it's yeah. a great for point. decades. Yeah. And, and so there's not that chaotic uh, situation. The uh, active shooter drills, it's very obvious when we first start that without that, it would be pandemonium mm-hmm. and there'd right. be a lot more uh, fatalities, unfortunately. Right. But uh, Pro- probably some from the pandemonium, right? Like people getting no. trampled and all kinds of crap, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, geez. What what would you recommend for for a, um, a listener as far as how to uh, look into um, any sort of uh, like just open up the phone book and look for a school, self defense school in their hometown, and and say how how the fuck do I get in on this? Uh, it depends on their motivation. What is it they want to attain? What are their goals? Yeah. If it is self-defense, they have to be very careful because although mixed martial arts is an awesome way to test yourself against somebody else that has the same skills mm-hmm. with a you know a whole pack of rules and a referee and, a, right. and a, a certain area that you have, self-defense is not like that. Right. right. Uh, it, let me tell you a story that will kind of point that out. There right. is... Two um, MMA uh, veterans, one guy had 47 fights and I think four losses. So he, he knew what he was doing. The other guy was a bit of a newbie. He had seven fights, uh, two losses, but the rest of his wins were all knockouts. Both capable people when it comes to that mm-hmm. arena. They were intoxicated in a convenience store Two girls came in. They started saying some inappropriate things to them. And one of them even flicked the one girl's hair. Uh, Then they turned around and started to pay for their items. Not too long later, here comes the boyfriends. Mm -hmm. Two guys come in. You could see from the body language. There wasn't any audio in this tape, but you could see from the body language, they were comfortable facing these two guys. Uh, Right. And uh, you can imagine what was being said. Sure. And then the fight broke out, and it was the the boyfriends that threw the first punch. And it started off okay, although they didn't wipe these guys out right. Here they have way more experience. These guys probably had no experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, it spilled off into the 
the gas station or the, the parking the lot. Parking lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, one guy run over and and hit this guy with a two by four. Now the you could see the the UFC fighter looking and going. The hell am I this do? doesn't happen in the ring. <laughs> and, and where's sure. Herb Dean yeah, when right. you need him? <laughs> and he got smacked down and they put the boots to him. Yeah. Uh, somebody else joined the fight. Now the other UFC fighter, he's not used to fighting two guys in, sure. in the ring. Yeah. Now there's two guys and then three. Yeah. The other finally a two by four got picked up, run over there, and they attacked him with that. The one guy, the first guy that got hit, he's in a coma today. Wow. And this happened some time ago. Yeah. Whether he's going to make it or not. So here you have two seasoned martial artists mm-hmm. in a combat sport. Mm. Right. Don't confuse that with self-defense. Yeah. Because that's not self-defense. Right. It gives you some good skills, but again, it's not what happens out in the street. Yeah. So to answer your questions, when when you're going to, you have to educate yourself what it, what What's is, your goal? Right? What is self-defense? Yeah. If it, you know, what is self-defense? And then step back in your logical corner, go in, look at the system being taught, look at the instructors, mm. and evaluate it. Mm-hmm. But don't be fooled because somebody says it's the greatest thing since sliced bed, yeah, bread. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you? No, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Do you watch film like that? Is it? Is it? Is it? Is it do you I find it to be valuable. Thousands and thousands of those YouTube moments, because again, you look, you're looking for the the precursors to the violence itself. The sooner you see something, the more likelihood you have a time and space cushion to do something that's going to work. Because if you're not aware, if you don't know what to look for, you could be the best trained person in the world. If you're sitting like that and he's a trained individual and somebody comes up behind him with a baseball bat and cracks him in the head, he's going to suffer the same way that you would. So that tactical awareness, again, is everything. Yeah. Um, And then the skills, surprisingly, what a lot of people don't understand, and I pop a few bubbles when I say this, but I don't mind kicking over some sacred cows sometimes. You don't have to train for four years to be uh, successful at defending yourself. You can do it in a very short amount of time. Everybody is capable of violence, and nobody is exempt from it. Right. And so in most of your street punks have little or no training, but they're very capable of doing serious damage. So you got to learn, actually use them for models. What did they do that worked? Right. Oh, there's game changers on the body. The body in general is very uh, uh, resilient, um, if that's the right word. Uh, and, you know, we're built like any predatory animal. We're very strong from the front. But there's those game changers in which it doesn't matter if you're the toughest, the meanest, the most experienced person. If you get hit in that area, it's going to have an effect that you cannot control. And it's not a pain. It doesn't start off as a pain effect. It, there's a there's a, a receptor in your upper spine that's like when you go to the doctor and they hit your knee and you you have that reflex. Yeah, it does the same thing when some like your ankle gets broken or you get throat punched. You're going to have a predictable reaction to that, and that tells a trained person where's your next target. Yeah, and you become a serial target searcher breaker. <laughs> <laughs> and and you until the situation's ended. Once it's ended, you have to stop. You can't continue because you'd be punishing or taking revenge, which we're not justified in doing so. Right. However, you do have to win that thing. So you got to know where those points are. An easy way to understand that is if you ever had a nephew or a niece crawl up in your lap and poke you in the eye accidentally, mm-hmm. it's excruciating. Yeah. I can tell you exactly what you did. You covered your eye, you got your head away from the wound, and you opened up another target. Fortunately, <laughs> fortunately they didn't take advantage of that, sure. but you would. <laughs> but check that out, dude. This is like like a domino. One exposes the other, exposes the other, exposes yeah. the other. And and a person doesn't have to work out. They don't have to be in great shape. If they are, great. They're going to live longer. They'll have more endurance, and yeah. that's important too. However, you don't have to do that to defend yourself. We have little ladies... Small frame people in general, and they can 
take down a 250 pound man in yeah. the blink of an eye. Right. Right. And they don't have to train for four years to get to that black belt. Cause what are you going to do? <laughs> hey, come back in four years because I'm not ready for you. Yeah. <laughs> no, you got to be ready. How, how long does that street violence usually last? Five seconds. Yeah. I mean, it's over. Yeah. It starts and it's over. That's pretty incredible. And then to have your, uh, tricks in your bag for five seconds. Yeah. I mean, dude, that's a, uh, that's a pretty amazing thing. Now I want to get back to this, uh, the self-defense thing. Um, where um where does repetition come into place with with that sort of thing is it uh because i know as a martial artist myself like my kicks when i started weren't as good as they were after doing mm -hmm. 10,000 kicks mm -hmm. right so in self defense is uh like home protection um is that a repetitive thing that you that you teach or is it a situation that you uh create you know, I mean, do you like in, in, in school, I mm -hmm. guess in your self-defense school, do they set up home invasion scenarios or how do you, how do you attain that information? Yeah. Yeah. We, we talk about the vulnerability of your home and for most people, how easy their home is to penetrate right. and to breach the different windows and doors. Uh, as far as repetition is concerned, um, the ability to protect your home or your family doesn't take the repetitions that they've led us to believe in the martial arts that you need hundreds mm. of hours. Right. And think of it this way. How long does it take to learn how to swim? Once you swim, if somebody threw you in 10 years later, you would make it to the shore. Yeah. You might not look pretty, but mm -hmm. you wouldn't be drowning. Right. And a, a Olympic swimmer is going to look more graceful, have sure. more endurance and do the same thing. But right. at the end of the story, you both made it to shore. Yeah. So the, if you enjoy it, the more you do, the better. Yeah. It, but learning how to make a person non-functionable is not a perishable skill. Right. So, you know, again, that's <laughs> popping a lot of people's bubbles. Uh, yeah. But um, I want to underline if somebody is interested in self-defense, these are the things you want to consider. Yeah. Most people don't have the time or the desire to do that. Right. But they do have the desire to be safe. Protect yeah. themselves, yeah. And it, you don't have to go to a so-called bad part of the city. Uh, gas stations in general mm -hmm. are meccas for crimes. Right. right. And oh, just, there's tons and tons and tons of bad things that happen, and they happen fast. Yeah. And if you have no idea, you go on this two-second busy signal, and you are that volunteer for crime. Man can change. Blink. It's crazy. Just like that. Well, this has been super, super interesting. We want to get you out of here on time because you have something else to do. So we're going to start our our rapid fire, not rapid fire, random questions. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll just do a few of them here. Um, That's is great, Coach, for... Thanks for coming super, in. Super, super interesting. Very, yeah, we could very have, interesting. Could have you on for a little bit more. I, I'm, I'm interested uh, in, in getting more information from you about doing it myself. So I need to get back in there. I will, I'll be picking your <laughs> getting brain a bit. old and fat in my <laughs> cushy job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you got to start. He was talking about uh, Bob was talking about playing pickleball. Do you have some friends that play? Yeah. So I got to get you out there playing pickleball, man. Yeah, my right hand, the guy, uh, the, uh, Professor Klein, up in Bellingham, Washington. He was uh, my loyal friend and, and, you know, student for 30 years now, I believe. Mm -hmm. And I turned my school over to him. And, wow. And he's the one that got me into pickleball. Oh, cool. <laughs> it's Very a fun good. sport. All right. So first question here, what type of milk do you put in your cereal? <laughs> I don't anymore. Uh, the finding hard nutrition is very difficult to do. Everything is tainted with pesticides and toxified and chemicals <laughs> a person preservatives really has to do some research because back in my day people didn't have peanut allergies they didn't have all the problems that there's going on now true. and the farmers can't even own their own seeds the government have a patent on that yeah so you know it yeah. that's that's, that's another, difficult monsanto and yeah. yeah. monsanto 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 yeah, yeah. All right. Well, that's you don't, no cereal for you then. No cereal. All right. Uh, would you rather be besties with uh, Beyonce or Rihanna? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one, huh? Right, let's hear this. I, I would. I would really have to see what the moral compass is like. <laughs> I love sure. it. You give it a good try. Yeah. 
That's great. I'd be like, neither. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's a good one. All right. Uh, let's see. What's the capital of New York? Oh, I don't. Uh, I don't know either. So wait. I don't have an answer. I'm just wondering if you know. Uh, <laughs> Is it Connecticut? <laughs> <laughs> Astoria? I mean, that's a whole other state. No. Um, uh, God, is it Syracuse? I was, it I might was be. thinking Syracuse, but... It might be. You have the questions, but not the answers? No, of What kind not. of show is this, yeah, dude? What, what show are we running? <laughs> Jeez. Jackass. It's, like it's a purple belt. <laughs> not even purple. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the belt, so I don't know if that's good or not. Uh, what's something you could eat for a week straight? Soups. I like soups. Uh, what's your favorite soup? Oh, my wife does all the cooking. Yeah. <laughs> um, he likes them all, Tracy. <laughs> yeah, no, she does. She's a great cook. Um, I like soups uh, and salads, and that's pretty much what we eat. Hmm. Uh, okay, yeah. all right. Uh, would you rather wake up in an air uh, to an air horn blowing in your ear every day, or wake up and have a and run four miles every day. Oh, I'd much rather run four miles. Yeah. I don't know Albany, why, I don't New know York. why I had such a tough time getting that question out. Albany, New York. Albany. Albany. I knew it was on to something. Syracuse. I was going to say something with an A, but oh. I didn't. So I'm not going to, I'm just going to go back. <laughs> All right, last question here. Dark chocolate or milk chocolate? Dark chocolate. Yeah. yeah. Really? Skadoosh. I like milk chocolate. I like it what too. I don't. I, like dis- I don't. They just say that the <laughs> dark chocolate is more healthy. Yeah. So, so you're you're a healthy guy. You you choose uh, the right foods. You go organic, no non-GMO, all, all the that time. Stuff. Yeah. Yep. No glyphosates. No mm-hmm. GMO. Uh, meat eater or no? I do. Uh, I do. I just you know I. I believe God put us together right, and that's what we did. We had a little of this and a little of that, and uh, yeah. So definitely not a vegetarian. And, uh, but I don't overdo anything. Everything in moderation, that's kind of the key. Yeah. That's great. Yep. It's been a pleasure, man. It's yeah, thanks, really Coach. Good really, really great. Yeah. Really great. Um, yeah, we could probably talk a lot more about it, I'm sure. It's very interesting. So. Well, we should just honor this as part one, and then we could do a part two. Absolutely. In, uh, and then probably in the early summer months. It's a great idea. Have you back. Yeah, okay. Do that again. Yeah. And I'm going to follow up on the. Uh, I'm going to. I'm going to inquire about doing a little training myself. Um, are you still uh, at the same email address? Yes. Okay. So what I'll do is I'll actually do an email introduction uh, for you with you two. Okay. So that you can have an email and a cell, and then uh, you guys do what you do on the podcast thing. Per- oh, perfect. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, we'll do that for sure. Yeah, and stay tuned because Professor's putting the podcast together, and that's right. it's going to be dope. Pretty sweet. Yeah. Nice to meet you, Bob. You too. Thanks cool. for being Thanks on Thanks for our coming, show. bud. Thank you, guys. Cool. Bye.